This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. Lord, cause your truth to penetrate our hearts, give clarity to our minds, receptivity to our wills, and a readiness, dear God, to our lives to embrace and receive the truth of your word. We ask, dear God, that on this day that you would meet us in each of our needs, knowing our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you can have a seat. Thank you. <clears throat> and good morning to you all, and welcome to any visiting here on Mother's Day. Glad that you're here, uh, and, and we hope that the Lord will minister to you. Uh, normally, our study together is making our way through a biblical book of the Bible and taking it a you know, verse, a paragraph at a time. Uh, but a couple weeks ago, we began just a short topical series uh, a break from our sequential series uh, where we are revisiting our purpose statement, trying to in reinvigorate our joy and our desire to fulfill the purposes that God's given to us as a church. And we also wanted to use this time also to sort of uh, bring you inside a bit and give you some updates of, regarding our thoughts and prayers uh, that came from our elders' uh, annual planning and prayer retreat, which took place a few weeks ago. So we're back to that this morning, and we'll finish this up uh, by next week. So let me remind you again of what the, uh, the purpose statement of, of the church is. And also first remind you that we said you can be a solid, biblical, healthy church without a purpose statement, right? Uh, but a purpose statement can help sort of crystallize in a very memorable way what the New Testament teaches is the calling of the church, right? So here's our purpose statement. As we see it, we exist to magnify the glory of God through Jesus Christ in all things by res responding to His grace and worship, by applying His grace in discipleship, and by extending His grace in mission. Now, the overarching purpose of the church is really the overarching purpose of every believer's life. We exist to glorify God. We exist to magnify the glory of God. That doesn't mean we add to God's glory. We don't make God any bigger than He is or better than He is. It means we magnify Him. We put it on display, and we do it through Jesus Christ because the Son of God is the revelation of God. And we do it in all things. We don't have little private parts of our lives in which we don't want to glorify God. We seek to glorify God in everything. And so that's the overarching purpose of the church as well. The church has three primary objectives or ways to glorify God. By responding to His grace and worship. And we talked mostly about corporate worship two weeks ago. And by applying His grace in discipleship. And that is our topic this morning discipleship, revisiting our practice of discipleship. I won't be in one text this morning. I'll jump around to a couple of texts. You'll be familiar, most of you, with, with most of them, if not all of them. And so I want to look at discipleship from four angles or four perspectives. And the first is the mandate of discipleship. 
the mandate. And this comes from a passage known for, uh, for a long time as the Great Commission, Matthew 28. You remember this, Matthew 28. After the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples on various occasions. And Matthew records that there was this last moments with them where Jesus said this to them. It says in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, literally, having gone, is how the text reads, having gone, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or keep all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Now, you, you, most of you are very familiar with that. And there is the mandate, make disciples. That's the main verb there, make disciples. But what is a disciple? And who is a disciple of Christ? Generally speaking, from their understanding and their culture, a disciple is one who disciplines him or herself in the teachings and practices of another teachings and practices. So a disciple disciplines him or herself in the teachings and practices of another. Simply put, they viewed a disciple as a learner and a follower. Not just a learner, but a follower. When Jesus called his first disciples, he said, follow me, not simply hear me, you know, or consider what I say. He said, follow me. And of course, this was taken very literally. Peter left his fishing business and, and began to follow Jesus. So a disciple is a learner and a follower, one who trusts the teachings of another and seeks to live by those teachings and apply those teachings to his or her life. Disciples are therefore in a very close relationship with their teachers. And that was certainly the case then. They would follow them all across the countryside. Think about how the disciples lived with Jesus. And they called Jesus master because Jesus is more than some religious teacher. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. Remember when uh, Peter was asked on that day, who do you say that I am? And by the grace of the Holy Spirit, he was able to blurt out, probably better than he understood, he said, you are the Christ, Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, if you're going to be a learner and a follower of the Son of the living God, certainly that's going to change your life dramatically from where it was before. And that's exactly what happened with Peter and all the disciples now. Now, some, some try to make a distinction between a Christian and a disciple. Maybe some of you came from a background like that. That is, some teach that, uh, that becoming a disciple is some sort of later optional, higher decision that a few, you know, really committed Christians make. But the New Testament knows no such distinction. In the New Testament, every Christian is a disciple, a learner and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of Acts, which records the early history of the church, it says in Acts chapter 11, and now this was now several decades after the time of Christ, 
In Acts chapter 11, it says that in Antioch, that was Antioch of Syria, the disciples were first called Christians. So they'd always been disciples for decades. And then they were for the first time in Antioch called Christians, little Christs, because of how their life reflected the one whom they were following. And so listen, being a Christian is being a disciple. It's being a learner and a follower, one who listens to what the, the Lord has to say and believes trusts what he says and begins to live by it. It involves obedience. Um, This is not how you become a Christian. This is not how you are justified or forgiven. Conversion is our response to the gospel. Faith and repentance, the good news comes to us. And we believe and we repent by the grace of God, by the work of the Holy Spirit. But now we are disciples. (laughs) And as disciples, we begin to listen more and more and follow more and more. And that's why the Lord said to some who were not, uh, not really truly in Christ, committed to him. In Luke 6, 46, he says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? <laughs> There's a disconnect here. <laughs> Why do you say, Oh, Lord, or Jesus, Lord? But your lifestyle says, You don't want to bother doing what he says, you see. You're taking a different direction, you see. So who is a disciple? Every Christian, beloved, is a disciple. And following Christ is part of being a disciple right it's just a natural thing so what is the mandate the mandate is not to make mere converts mere commitments so to speak Uh, it begins there it begins with evangelism yes but immediately upon faith the, the mandate is what to make disciples help others become followers of the lord jesus christ applying his teachings to their life and so that is the calling we understand listen we understand that we don't have the power to make disciples in the sense of somehow working inside of your heart and creating a faith that loves God and wants to follow him that's all the work of God but God uses means and he uses human means. Remember what Paul said, I planted, what did he plant? The good news, the gospel. Apollos, another preacher, watered, which means what? He taught them, but God caused the growth. So yes, God brings faith, God causes growth. God's the one who ultimately is really making disciples grow, but he uses human means, right? And so that's the mandate, make disciples. Now, what is the means of making disciples? What does making disciples involve? Well, it involves, first of all, yes, evangelism. That's where it starts, but we're going there next week, right? Extending his grace in mission. It involves teaching. Listen, what did he say in Matthew 28? Uh, He says there, make disciples of all nations, giving them the sign of belonging. What? Baptizing them. That's initiation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them, teaching them to observe, which means to keep or retain, reserve uh, all that he has taught. 
Now listen to this other passage in Acts 2.42. The early church did exactly what Jesus said. In Acts 2.42, it says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. Yes, but they were continually devoted to the apostles' teaching together. And then here's a third passage that bears upon this. Near the end of his life, uh, the Apostle Paul writing to his young protege, what does he say to him that contributes to understanding of discipleship? He says in 2 Timothy, his last letter to him, chapter 2, he says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Teaching, 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 right? And passing it on and trusting the teaching, the doctrine to the next generation. And what is it exactly that we are teaching? Jesus said, all that I have commanded you and all that Christ commanded, well, he commanded from the Old Testament scriptures. It's understanding all he said about himself that comes from the Old Testament scriptures. And also being devoted to what? The apostles did teaching. And the apostles were taught by Christ. You remember Luke 24. He showed them how the Old Testament scripture spoke and pointed to him. And then they explained the Old Testament scriptures to us in the New Testament. And so they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which was an explanation and expansion of the teachings of Christ, which came from the Word of God. And so that's the core of discipleship, is what? Is passing on truth. Passing on the truth from one generation to another. That is central to the process of making disciples. Now, how does that happen? It happens in both a formal and informal way. There are formal ways in which we seek to pass on the truth, to teach one another, and then there are informal ways. What are the formal ways? Well, we're doing it right now. <laughs> the formal gatherings of the church, and we come here uh, to hear the exposition of God's word, an explanation of God's word. This is a formal discipleship taking place right now. And we've also had a formal discipleship program. Two years, right? Nine months each time of, uh, of, of training in the scriptures, our discipleship training program. These two formal ways of making disciples, Sunday morning pulpit and discipleship courses, they have been a, a steady for the last 28 years in the existence of this church. With the minor exception that some years we don't run the discipleship class, because there may not be enough new students who want to participate in that. We also have other formal settings, don't we? We have adult Sunday school, sometimes on, sometimes off. We have conferences. Uh, we have men and women's Bible studies. and We have other, uh, again, gatherings where we have formal teachings of the body. Of the, of the scriptures. So what's the goal of formal discipleship? It is to saturate you, beloved. Saturate the church with the truth of the word of God. Knowing that it doesn't always penetrate and it doesn't always go as deep and it doesn't always go uh, uh, equally in every one of you. It's just a constant saturation of the word of God, hoping that it takes root. I planted, Apollos watered, 
God is causing growth, you see. So that's formal. But discipleship happens uh, way beyond the formal gatherings and way beyond this pulpit, beloved. It's been said that the pulpit or the Sunday morning uh, uh, sermon is not the finish line. It's the starting line. It's not the finish line. This is where it begins for us. We hear the word, and then we seek to reflect on it, talk about it. We interact with each other on it, on some level, you see. And so there's a lot that happens that is very informal. It's life on life, people meeting with other people, right? Discipleship happens on all sorts of levels. Happens when uh, a, a brother calls another brother up and says, look, I'm struggling with something. I haven't told anybody, but I'm struggling with something, and I want to, I got to talk with someone. And so they sit down at at Pete's Coffee or somewhere, and they go for an hour talking about what they're trying to work through in their life, you see. That's discipleship. Discipleship happens when when an older brother in Christ notices something about a younger brother in Christ, and he says, look, you're absolutely clueless on how to talk to girls, (laughs) Let's, let's get together and talk for a little while here. Let me disciple you in this, give you some understanding, you see. Discipleship happens uh, on all sorts of levels. And on Mother's Day, on Mother's Day, I'd say a whole lot of discipleship happens uh, in the home from the lips of a mom. When he was writing Paul, that is, when Paul was writing to Timothy, He was writing to someone who had a rich home school history, if you would, right, in the scriptures. When he's writing to Timothy here at the end of his life, the same letter I read earlier, I'm reading again, 2 Timothy chapter 1, he begins like this. He says to Timothy, Timothy, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. And then as he comes to the end of his exhortation, the end of this letter, he says to Timothy, um, verse 14 of chapter 3, he says, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Some of it came from Paul, but, he says, and how from childhood. Ah, it didn't all come from Paul. It came from his grandmother. It came from his mother. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So mom, on Mother's Day and grandmas, I remind you that you have a tremendous privilege and an inroad into young hearts that no pope will ever have. (laughs) And that is the tender words of a loving mother pointing repeatedly to the sacred writings, even just reading them out loud for your children that God may give them wisdom and faith and salvation in Christ Jesus. So discipleship. Who are disciples? Everyone is a disciple who is a Christian. We have a mandate to do what? Well, not just make converts, but make disciples. How is this done? 
It is done through teaching primarily, but also mentoring. Life on life is done formally. It's done informally. And what this means and what this signifies is that the, the Scripture and the Spirit together have the, the sufficient power necessary to create a church and build up that church, to bring a church to maturity, to make disciples. So where are we in it, in this as a church? Well, yes, the primary means that we said is the Word of God, no doubt. And we, we, are, we are encouraged. We came back encouraged and blessed that God has blessed His Word over the years here. God has used His Word over the years here. But we need to strengthen certain areas. And we thought, well, we, when we were praying at the retreat, we thought, you know, these last couple of years have really taken a toll on some things. And we need to be sure we are strengthening, strengthening those ministry contexts in which the majority of people are being touched. In other words, you can't always be a mall. And sometimes you have to be a 7-Eleven, right? You can't always do everything because you don't always have all the enough, enough people to do everything. So what ministries of the word, what discipleship ministries are touching the majority of people? Sunday mornings, to be sure. The vast majority of you see each other and come for the word on Sunday mornings. And that is in the pulpit or from the pulpit. We're committed to continue to disciple these brothers who are coming up as elders to be preachers and teachers. But also through, let's say, our children's Sunday school, our children's Christian education. That touches many, many families and many children in this church. Now, your children are welcome in the service, and in fact, there's a point in time where they, they should be in the service. They need to see things they would never see, your devotion and what it means to gather and worship God, uh, the public offering of, of giving our gifts to the Lord, and so forth. So your children are welcome in the service, but we understand that some, at certain ages and at certain points, they aren't able to grasp certain teachings, and so we also have Christian education for children. And on top of that, some of you are here two hours. You serve one hour, and the other hour uh, you worship, and so your children are here two hours, and so they need Christian education for one of those hours, if you follow me. And so for some time now, we've not been able to offer children's education on Sunday for both hours, and we said we have to strengthen that. And last week, uh, when Pedro preached and there was a call put out, praise the Lord, several of you stepped forward, and I could say, uh, we may be limping, we're stumbling, but we're going to go into the summer program with children's education for both hours. Praise the Lord. However, I'm told that we could still use two or three more because when you're just on the cusp of having enough, somebody gets sick, another one gets sick, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, we're limping even worse. So th there's a need for more. So discipleship happens on all ages, all levels, formally, informally, and what we determine that we need to strengthen those areas that touch the most people. What's another area that touches the most people besides Sunday morning worship and and Christian education on Sunday. The next one would be community groups. Community groups. We have small groups that meet midweek, and um, most will take a break this summer. But what we have currently, we have some 16 community groups with 187 people participating in those 16 groups. Those 187 people include members and regular attenders, people who are not yet 
join the church, but are, are regular attenders. So 187 people uh, in 16 community groups. That does not include the Hispanic ministry, which would include another two community groups soon, to have two, I believe, soon. And it would include more people in those groups. Now, how many members are there in this church? There are about 280 adult members, and then there's almost 200, if you can imagine that, regular attenders, people who have yet to commit to membership. And so when you have almost 300 adult members and plus more who attend, and we only have 187 in small groups. So we determined that's another area of discipleship that we need to strengthen. So we want to multiply more groups, see more of you getting plugged in uh, to these groups. So discipleship. We have a mandate to make disciples. Every Christian is a disciple. The means of discipleship is primarily teaching the Word of God by example, formally, informally, uh, through studies, what have you. Now, the third uh, perspective on discipleship is the context of discipleship. The context. We say, where does discipleship take place? And you may say, well, I think that's kind of obvious, isn't it? The church. We're talking about the church. Uh, and I don't mean just Sunday gatherings, but whenever the church gathers, wherever. That's, the church is the context of discipleship. Yeah, that's an easy sort of, you know, um, answer. But listen, what is the church? What exactly is the church? Because when we fail to reflect more deeply about the nature of the church, we can actually begin to work against, against what God would have us doing. Because we have not organized ourselves with an, an, an understanding of the nature of the church. Now, in other words, if I say, what is the church? Someone says, well, the church is a family. Yes, correct, right. The church is the elect people of God brought together as a family. Yes, correct. But don't forget, don't fail to think about this, that the church is a people brought together through a supernatural bond. A, church, a people of diverse backgrounds that are made one not through natural bonds, not through natural affinities, but through a supernatural bond that has brought together a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue and all sorts of different backgrounds, you see. We have to remember that, you see. Uh, we have to understand that when we think about uh, how we organize discipleship in a church. In other words, what unites us, beloved? What brings us together is not our economics. We don't all have the same socioeconomic status. What brings us together is not our ethnicity. Blessed be God, look around uh, one of these Sundays. You see people from all sorts of different ethnicities. What brings us together is not our level of education. What brings us together is not the color of our skin. It's not our hobbies. What brings us together is the cross of Jesus Christ. The sacrifice that he has made to, you, to call out of the world a people for his own possession. Now I, wanna, I want you to see how important this is. We, we drift away from it, but it was profound for the early church. Remember, Remember the experience of Peter, right? 
how he had to be brought to understand that the Gentile peoples were now just as much a part of the people of God as the Jews, right? And why is that? Because of the division that existed. For centuries in the history of redemption, the history of God's working through the old covenant, the people of God were primarily, by vast majority, only people of Jewish descent, and among them were the true believers, and here and there a sprinkling of a Gentile, like Ruth or or someone else. But when Jesus came, the Messiah, what he did is he brought to an end that division And now the people are united to God in the new covenant through his blood, which brings about a new kind of body, a spiritual body made of a people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, you see. And that was was tremendous, you see. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, the, the book that, uh, that Pedro preached from last week, he, he reminded where they, them of where they came from, and they are now part of one new humanity. Listen to what he says. You don't need to turn there. Ephesians 2.11. This is what he says. This is a predominantly non-Jewish Christian church, a Gentile church. He says, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. That was a word of derision, right? That was an insult. You called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's where you were. And then he says, but now in Christ, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Jesus himself, is our peace our peace, our shalom, who has made us both, Jew and Gentile, he has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Did you notice how he describes it? A wall of hostility, which was what? He goes on to say, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, one new humanity in place of the two, and so making peace, and that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What a, what a phrase, I love that, with the way Paul, can you say it any clearer, Paul? What's he saying? He's saying the old covenant, which has come to an end, the Mosaic covenant, created a dividing wall, and this wall was a wall of hostility. A Jew could not spend time with a Gentile. A Jew could not go in the home of a Gentile. A Jew could not eat a meal with a Gentile. A Jew thought the Gentiles were dogs. In the temple worship in Jerusalem, there was a sign at the court of Gentiles, this far and no further, at the cost of your life, you see. There was a hostility dividing Jews and Gentiles, for the most part, right? And Jesus through his crucifixion, what, what, what Paul is saying, that God has killed that hostility when he killed his son. When he put on his son the wrath that all sinners deserve, Jew and Gentile. And he, he destroyed that dividing wall. Remember the curtain was torn in the temple from top to bottom. And so yes, the church is an amazing group of people 
These people would not have ever come together, beloved. They would have never come together. D.A. Carson, (laughs) in his book, Love in Hard Places, makes this statement. He says, ideally, ideally, the church is not a community of natural friends, but of natural enemies. And that's exactly what the early church was. These people were naturally enemies, but they were made one family, made one community, you see, brought together not by natural affinities, not through natural bonds, but through the supernatural bond of the, of the atonement of Christ applied through believing the gospel, you see. Now, so when you think of that, you say, now, okay, so how does this relate to, 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 to discipleship? It is remembering that as we create context of discipleship, we can either work toward, towards reinforcing that supernatural bond, which is amazing, or we could work against it. And when a church is mostly predominantly structured around a stage of life groups or other affinity groups, you see. Groups that gather based on some other level besides the, the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, it becomes easier, you see. You're not pushed. You're not stretched to grow. And you're not magnifying the, the glory of this spiritual bond that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so there's a diminishing there. Um, Discipleship suffers. Growth is stunted. Uh, when, you, when you just simply hang with people that are like you, even though you're all Christians. Why? Because the gospel's power is less visible. Well, these people always get along. Right? I mean, these are the same kind of people. Right? So the power of the gospel is less visible, and it seems what? It seems less necessary. Why do we need it? You know, we get along because, you know, we're, 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 we're the same kind of people, man. And so we want to be careful at that point, right? You see, 1 Corinthians 13, you know that as the love chapter, right? And, and, and Paul there describes the amazing extent to which Christian love ought to go. Hoping all things, enduring all things, right? And he, he, when you love people who are lovable, and you love people who are just like you, there doesn't seem to really need to be a whole lot of power of God in your life, does there? But when you start trying to love a la 1 Corinthians 13, people who are undeserving of your love, people who actually oppose your love, people who are unlike you, different than you, you see. now, you see, now you're growing. Now you're being stretched. Uh, and this is a this calls for supernatural power to keep that bond intact with these people that are so different than you. So we need that grace. We need the grace of God to love people, a community that's very different, you know. And if we only serve and hang out with people based on similarity, whatever it might be, stage of life or background or color of our skin, what have you, ethnicity, then we really don't need the power of the grace of God as much as we do otherwise. And that's also beautiful among the eldership. It's great to see in a plurality of elders over the years, we've enjoyed elders from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic status, different ethnicities, and, uh, and so forth. Again, what unites us is 
Christ. So now, what do we what do we say here about application? Well, we have some we do have some affinity groups, you know, but we don't we because we understand that some some people at different stages of life could use specialized education, specialized discipleship, right? So yeah, we have a youth group. We have a, we'll have a men's and women's Bible study. But we don't, we don't keep stressing, and over the years, we, keep, we do keep stressing, we want you all in community groups where you're not gathering based on affinity, but simply either by geography or by your schedules, you see. And sometimes we get pushback with that, you know? You know, I want to meet just with other single moms. Well, maybe you can find a time to just meet with other single moms, but you understand what's going to stretch you and what's going to help you grow is meeting with, with people that are diverse. And you go to a community group and... And you look around and you say, my goodness, there's a bunch of weird people in here. <laughs> if Tony hadn't pushed me, I would have never come to this group, you know. And you know what they're thinking? Who's this guy? He's really weird too. I mean, <laughs> that's what they're thinking. And now what's going to happen? We're going to see whether that supernatural bond of the love of Christ is real in you. And we're also going to see it grow. Because you're going to be stretched. <laughs> you're going to be pushed. But if you always gravitate, and people naturally do, understand, people naturally do, you always gravitate towards people who are just like you, then your growth is going to be stunted. Your discipleship is going to be stunted. I mention the guys periodically, and I think I've only said it maybe a couple times up here. I think sometimes the Lord sends some individuals to our church. They come from out of nowhere. It's like they just fall out of the sky. I'm not thinking of any of you in particular <laughs> or at home. <laughs> so they just fall out of the sky and there's a complexity, complexity of problems and needs in their lives. And the question always is, you gonna love this one? Feed my sheep. This is my sheep. You gonna love this one? Or are you gonna try and you know, let's get him in the community group of weird people. <laughs> you know? No. And so the context of discipleship is very important. What is the context of discipleship? It is a diverse body united by a supernatural bond. That supernatural bond is conversion. It's the grace of God, the gospel, you might say, the cross of Christ. Now something, therefore, we like to encourage you as well, not only to... Tell, ask you to just check yourself or you're always just with the same click and, and you always gravitate to people like you. Are you open to strangers as they come into this church? Uh, that's the love, that's hospitality, is love of strangers. But also we like to encourage you to know the whole church. So I, you know, some of you, if I were to ask you, who, who do you know in the church? You might be able to give me one hand, maybe two hands. And it's, you know, hey, it's this, I always see him or I always see her or when we drop off the kids, I'm, it's always the same person there signing him in or so, and so forth, you know. We said there was what? There's almost 280 members, adult members. Then there's their children. And then there's all these uh, uh, regular attenders who have yet to even be members. One of the things we did at the retreat, is, is, and it's not the first time we did this, we do this, is we go through the membership roster name by name and pray for every individual there and every family. So you make your way from the A's through the B's through the C's. And even us as pastors will go, wait a minute, do you know this one? Which one of us knows this, this family or who this, of this individual? What can you tell us about them? 
I don't even know what to pray. And so we talk together. Now, we'd like to promote that you and encourage you, you do the same thing. We need to help you do that. You know, we're, we used to have, in the, in the days of analog, when we started the church, we used to have a printed pictorial directory. Some of you remember that? <laughs> yeah, hooray for the days of analog. Yeah, we had a printed pictorial directly. Problem was you had to keep printing hundreds of them because people were coming and going. And so we stopped doing that. What we used, we didn't even use uh, photographs because we just had a printed list of names and we were going over that. And you don't even have access to that as, as of this point. So we want to make it accessible to all of you. And we encourage those of you who are members who are already on the Shelby system, our, com- our database, to upload your photos, you know so that we can at one point make a pictorial directly or those of us using the, the, uh, the online system that we can use could see your face and put a face with the name. Go ahead, put that photo of six years ago when you looked sharp, yeah, <laughs> whatever. Don't worry about it, you know. No one's gonna say that's not what he looks like now, <laughs> yeah. We just would, we would benefit and we listen, we, we think you would benefit too if we get a full pictorial directly and you start making your way through that, praying for these people, knowing the flock around you because this is the context of discipleship, a, a, a body of people, a diverse people united by a supernatural bond. All right, then lastly, most briefly, the goal of discipleship. What's the goal of discipleship? Well, it's the same as all the other objectives, right? We exist to what? Magnify the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Again, we aren't adding to God's glory. We don't try and make God look good. We, God is who he is. We magnify who he is by making his glory visible, his grace, his gospel. Uh, and we do this primarily through two means. In discipleship, I'm talking about discipleship. How does our discipleship magnify the glory of God? One, through maturity, Christ-likeness, growth, you see. And then secondly, through the testimony of that supernatural bond that I just talked about. Let's think about the first one. How do we, what's the goal of discipleship? Well, it's the same as the others, to magnify the glory of God. How do we do it? Through maturity, spiritual growth. We show that the gospel is real because it's changing us. It's changing our lives. It's healing our walks. It's changing our character. It's healing our marriages. And we're moving forward, you know, and so forth. In the, in the passage that Pedro preached last week from Ephesians 4, you heard that he gave apostles and prophets and pastor teachers to do what? To equip the saints so that the saints would do the work of the ministry. And he emphasized serving one another. But also in there in Ephesians 4 was what? Speaking truth to one another in love so that the body might be built up into the head, which is whom? Which is Christ. And so that's one way we magnify the glory of God through discipleship, by not standing still, by growing and speaking truth to one another, bringing the word of God to bear upon each other, moving towards maturity. What does that maturity sound like? I'll read from, I'll read from Ephesians chapter 4 there. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow. <laughs> the fullness of Christ. Sounds like heaven to me, but we're supposed to be moving in that direction so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, but by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, you see. So what does maturity sound like that magnifies God? It sounds like this. Stability in doctrine. Not blown around by every new book and everything that comes out. Stability in doctrine. Resistance to false teaching. That's another mark of a mature church. Thirdly, perseverance in the faith. Whatever comes, whatever wind blows our way, remaining committed to Christ. And lastly, change lives. Looking more like Jesus every day. Um, that is what magnifies the glory of God. Uh, Paul said in discipleship. Paul says in Colossians 1.28 that he labors diligently Uh, He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And he says he toils at that, presenting people mature. And we understand that this is a journey. We have ups and downs. But that's how God's magnified through discipleship, through growth, change. And secondly, through the testimony of our supernatural bond together. Oh, how they love one another, said some of the early opposers of the Christian faith. What did Jesus say in John 13, 35? By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And who are the one another's? You just heard a whole bunch of people, very different. Peter had to learn. You know who one another is? Cornelius, that Gentile, Peter. (laughs) You got to love him as much as you love John, your fellow Jew. And then the world will take notice. And then Christ's uh, name will be magnified. When they see people that are brought together, not because they all, you know, not because they're all on the same diet, not because they all look the same, not because they all have the same hobby, not because they all have investments in the same sort of uh, stock market uh, group. What brings this group of people together, even though they're so diverse, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God magnifies when he sees the power uh, of the truth that you learn to love people that are very different than you. Uh, One author said, when Christians unite around something other than the gospel, they create community that would likely exist even if God didn't. (laughs) Right? People need to see a community that is impossible apart from God, apart from his grace and his gospel. So where do we stand on this, beloved, on this whole thing of discipleship? We praise God for how he's blessed his word here over the years. We want to strengthen those areas of the word that touches the majority of people. We know there are other ministries we may need to change, but we have no plans as of yet. And what about uh, this goal here and, and, and bringing glory to God, I want to urge you to, to not simply be drawn to the same group of people month after month, year after year, but learn to love strangers. <laughs> learn to love strangers in the sense that they, you don't know them, and learn to love strangers <laughs> in, in that they are seemingly strange to you. 
because you grew up in a certain context, you know, and this is all so different for you. Uh, let me ask you, listen, have you made a significant self-conscious commitment to this local church family? Because for this to happen, discipleship to bring about maturity and for discipleship to bring about a testimony of God's power that we can love each other, that's going to require what? Your involvement, you see. Your interaction. Uh, the, 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 the stones need to rub against each other to get some heat, right? That's what it involves. And so I'm asking you, you, you need to move beyond. I'm, I'm, re I'm repeating this again as I did under worship. You need to move beyond a consumer mentality to a provider, a provider mentality, a contributor mentality, and trusting that it's true when God says through Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You see, if you're a disciple, you're a follower of that. And you believe that. And so you give. You involve. You teach and you receive the input of others. Well, may the Lord bless our life together as he has the last 28 years. May he bless it even more in the years to come. It's a challenging time, but we're going to see how the Lord meets our needs and continues to magnify his name. Let's pray, okay? Mm -hmm.